This is the second part in our five-part series on health and aged care, proudly brought to you in association with Coroma. Coroma has revolutionised the Australian bathroom industry with a long list of innovations, including dual flush, smart flush and clean flush rimless technologies, all incorporated into Coroma Live Well's purpose-designed solutions for accessible aged and health care applications. LiveWell products are designed and engineered by Australia for Australians and have been so for nearly 80 years. The LiveWell collection is designed with practicality and dignity in mind. The fusion of contemporary styles with discreet modifications promote comfort and independence for those with greater needs. All care solutions are designed with beautiful aesthetics you have come to expect all across Coroma's products. To find out more, Go to coroma.com.au forward slash live well. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. And today in our studio, we have Philip Russo. Philip Russo is Director of Nursing Research, Cabrini Health and Associate Professor, Faculty of Medicine, Nursing and Health Sciences at Monash University in Victoria. He is also President of the Australasian College for Infection Prevention and Control and a member of several National Infection Prevention Committees advising the Commonwealth Government. He is a recipient of a National Health and Medical Research Early Career Fellowship, and his research focuses on healthcare-associated infection. Philip recently led the Australian National Healthcare-Associated Infection Point Prevalence Survey, the first to be conducted in Australia for 34 years. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Philip Russo. Thank you, Branko. It's great to be here. Okay, so these days... I guess you know, with COVID-19 and whatnot, um, we all have a lot of interest in, in you know, microbes and viruses and bacteria and whatnot. Um, in fact, apparently we're all experts, aren't we? Um, <laughs> um, so can you tell me, when it comes to aged care, and you know, this is pretty much what, what we'll focus on, um, what are the main you know, microbial dangers for residents? The main microbial dangers for residents of aged care facilities? Yep. Um, well, I guess there's an assortment of them, but what makes them stand out a little bit different is the population of the aged care facilities themselves. Right. So we're talking general, in general terms, older people, um, probably their immune systems aren't working as well as they used to, so they can't fight off infections. Um, and they quite possibly have other medical conditions, which makes them a little bit more susceptible. The other part of that is that um, a lot of infection control research and interventions and guidelines are specific to healthcare services, and in particular hospitals. And we know a lot about those areas, but aged care facilities aren't typically classified as healthcare facilities. They're, they're residential homes often. And so there's a little bit of a bit of an unknown sometimes when it comes to translating what we know about infection control in hospitals into that uh, residential aged care environment. Okay, so apart from COVID-19, what are some of the nasty little bugs flying around our aged care facilities? There's, um, there's been a, a number of our reports of outbreaks of multi-resistant organisms, um, and that's not just unique to aged care, but you also see them in, in health services. But what we, what we see is that um, 
because they're one of the big drivers for antimicrobial resistance is the use of antimicrobials. And you would have seen some public health campaigns over the past couple of years um, trying to educate the community about the appropriate use of antibiotics and not to always ask for antibiotics when you're, when you're feeling unwell. Because it's the inappropriate use of antibiotics which can drive um, resistance amongst our community. And what we see, well, often the picture is that a lot of residents in aged care facilities are on antimicrobials or antibiotics, and that is a driver for the resistance. Um, we'll, we'll have residents who do have um, resistant organisms. They will become unwell. They'll can then get transferred into an acute care facilities and take those bugs with them. And before we know it, we've got now got two facilities with um, with with concerns about resistant organisms, and then they go back to their to their aged care facility. So that the, the whole that it's it's all connected. Um, you know the antibiotics, antibiotic use, resistance, and uh, also the um, the um, epidemiology of, of uh, resistant bugs amongst our community. Interesting. Those bugs are smart. They they, they know how to get around, don't they? Uh, well, that's that's evolution for you they'll always win in the end is what uh, i think <laughs> uh, okay I'll, I'll read you something actually you may recognize this, this text because i think you may have written it um infection prevention and control is well established in hospitals and acute care facilities in australian hospitals there is an average of one full-time infection prevention nurse for every 152 beds hospitals typically have an infection control committee which is ultimately accountable to the hospital board by definition Aged care facilities are not considered to be healthcare facilities. Rather, they are social care settings designed to mimic a home environment as much as possible. Um, can you please explain to me, like, I mean, that, that was you wrote that, wasn't it? Uh, I was one of a few authors, yes. Okay, there yeah. you go. Um, can you explain to me how this is a why is this the case? Um, and how does this change or affect, or affect the way? infection control is managed in these facilities because you know you're, you're you're if i've read that correctly that says to me that you're actually on a dare i call it a a, a lesser war footing when it comes to when it comes to bugs aren't you yeah so the i run the the danger of moving into some political circles um in this response and i'll try not to to get too involved in that, but it, it, it really comes down to the fact that um, in our residential aged care facilities, um, over the past couple of decades, there's been a number of changes in the workforce. We're seeing less nursing re qualified registered nurses in these areas um, for uh, uh, to be replaced by a, a, you know a, a less expensive um, labour source, I, I guess. Um, and that has, you know, had a number of consequences, which I think have really been brought um, to light with in the past fourteen months with with COVID. And what we found is that um, infection control practices were poor. Um, education knowledge um, wasn't wasn't fantastic, and the supply of PPE was also um, questionable as well in a number of these areas. And I think this is, um, you know, we could also bring in the governance of these facilities, um, how their funding works and their accreditation and um, how 
closely they're regulated by various bodies as well. So there's a whole lot of issues um, that that will, um, you know, that make the difference between what we see in an acute care public hospital that has very regimented accreditation policies, guidelines, governance, as opposed to what we would see in aged care facilities um, for all those factors. So it's quite a few differences. One of the, um, you know, COVID has been devastating and terrible on a number of fronts, um, but there's always um, some positives to take out of these um, events. One of them is the um, findings from the Commission um, into Aged Care Royal Commission and the recommendation that uh, each aged care facility needs to have a registered nurse as an infection control lead employed at, at each facility. Now that has never been required before, which sounds unbelievable, but that was that's the truth. And, um, and there's also a move to get more registered nurses into, into aged care facilities. The, uh, I think the, the, diff, the, what, the importance about registered nurses is that nursing receives training about infection prevention control in, in um, the, the graduate diploma. And, um, and many nurses who work in other facilities, um, infection control is something that they have to do and uh, understand and practice every day. So we're hoping that that knowledge and uh, experience will translate into, into these aged care facilities. That's actually quite quite important because when you tied in with your earlier point when we said that you know how well bugs are evolving to to be able to move from from facility to facility, but because of the the, the diluting of the skill set of the staff over years, which has resulted, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, also a dilution in in pay rates, which means a lot of these people work in multiple centres, don't they? Um, so they end up taking whatever bug it may be, whether it be you know staff or or whether it be COVID. But yeah, you, know, you go they 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 pick it up in centre A, and they in the afternoon or night shift they take the centre B and so on. Um, is that is that an issue? Absolutely, that that's a huge issue, and that was one of the major issues um, that we faced in Melbourne with the outbreaks in our aged care facilities. A lot of casual staff work in these um, facilities and, you know, they, because of the genomic testing, we could actually trace people moving across Melbourne to the various um, facilities and, um, and, you know, being the, the source case to introduce um, COVID into the, a lot of those areas. So um, that's brought about changes and it needs to, um, we need to continue to enforce those changes, particularly at the moment with COVID still been much of a threat um, that uh, people cannot work across more than one facility. Um, and uh, I think that's also going to be a bit of a template for our workforce in these areas moving forward. Figures uh, with what you said about um, uh, you know facilities getting dedicated nurses for um, infection control. There are some figures that I've, I've um, pull, pulled up. Um, I think twenty three percent of Australian aged care facilities surveyed had a dedicated infection control committee. However, more than half report a lack of staff with specialised qualifications and experience in infection prevention and control, which is what you actually mentioned earlier. Um, 
what have you know <laughs> without getting into the you know the horror stories or without talking about too much about COVID because we I think if I hear the word COVID one more time I'm going to scream um what have been some of the results of this 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 situation in terms of in infection yeah well it, I guess what's what it means is that we don't really actually know the state of the situation when it comes to infections and spread of infections in, in these facilities. Wow. Um, the, the first thing that um, to determine an infection control program and strategy, you need to have a really good understanding of what's happening now. And that is usually by collecting data, how many infections are happening, who are they happening, what sort of infections they are, um, you know, are they related to any devices or procedures or anything? So once you have that data, you can then set up a strategy and infection control program to address those areas. Hospitals do surveillance of their patients for infections all the time, continuously. Um, and it's mandated in, in some states and territories as well that they must continue, they must look, actively look for infections amongst their patients. There's no requirement for that in aged care facilities. So there are probably, or there will be infections happening that we don't necessarily know about and we don't keep any track of. So um, the first thing to do is to set up a program where we can identify where the infections are happening, who are those patients most at risk and, and where and why and, and all that sort of information. Then we can go and plan appropriate um, programs for these areas. So the surveillance in, in, of infections in aged care facilities is a major gap in our knowledge as to what's happening um, uh, amongst these residents. Okay, interesting. So, okay, on that point, and I, and I will bring COVID in now, um, we saw, you know, as you mentioned, particularly in, in the aged care center, uh, sector in Victoria, the, the, you know, the results of COVID, you mentioned data. We have a lot of data points now on COVID. Um, do you think that, let's say, and I'm assuming there will be another, well, maybe not a pandemic, but certainly an outbreak of something you know, in the next five or 10 years. Um, do you think with what the data we've collected, collated and, and analysed with COVID prepares us better for you know, future outbreaks? I really hope so. Um, and if we don't, if we don't, then um, all fools us. Um, we've we've learned, you know. I've, I've been working in infection prevention for thirty odd years, um, and um, if I've learned anything in this past fourteen months, it's about how much I don't know. Um, and uh, you know, never, none of us ever thought that we would um, be living in a pandemic. So there's there's a huge number of lessons to be learned from this and I think if specific to aged care facilities one of them is about um, the environment in which these people are residing um, you know close quarters ventilation air conditioning windows that can open um, big enough spaces um, appropriate supplies of PPE um, those communal areas where residents will come together unfortunately there are prime you know, location for the spread of infection when people come together. So we might need to rethink about those um, about those communal areas. They'd be better off perhaps in bigger open spaces than than some of the the um, designs are now. So there's a whole there's a whole lot of lessons, and we, I actually think 
because we've all been so wrapped up in our immediate response to COVID, we really haven't had a chance to do a lot of research. Um, once we get some time and space, um, we'll be able to really drill down into our experience and, and learn even more. So I think we're just starting to, to learn um, about things now. I'm not a, a, an architect in any sense, but there are some things that do make the prevention of infection control easier. Um, and things like um, no shared rooms. Um, so every resident or every patient has their own single room. That's, that's a big start. Um, the second one would be about the, um, the actual environment and the surfaces um, need to be able to be cleaned easily um, and thoroughly. Um, we'll know that in a lot of aged care facilities, there's a lot of carpet used, there's a lot of materials, there's lounges, there's cushions, there's all that sort of, those sorts of furniture that you don't necessarily see in a hospital. Um, but they actually they do make the environment more homely, but they're actually really hard to clean as well and keep clean. Um, and the other major um, uh, architectural issue, I think, is the ventilation, as I mentioned. And, you know, each resident's room needs to have their, well, their own supply. If we're talking about a respiratory virus such as COVID, um, then, you know, there no, needs to be no recycling of of um, air um, in, in these buildings as well. So that, that's probably just a couple of the main factors that I would think of when it comes to thinking about the future design of, you know, uh, air environments that are more prone to prevent infection than, than encourage it. So, okay, so with, with the past few things you said, so if we were to want to effectively control infection or prevention, rather, or set up a infection prevention and control program, if you like. Um, you'd first be looking at, you know, coordination, collation analysis and reporting and process of data to those infections. You'd be, you'd be uh, looking at employing the right, right properly trained people in that, in that, in that area yeah. and throwing the, the uh, uh, some, you know, some what seems obviously very common sense design principles, you know, um, into the mix. And that you think would, um, lower the possibility of infection by some, by how much do you think maybe? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, You're a betting man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, it's about making infection prevention easier for the people to, to follow and to implement. Um, so, um, you know, there's, uh, it's, it's impossible to say, but what I do know is because I know, uh, at Monash University, we've been involved um, in providing face-to-face -face education to a lot of workers in aged care facilities about how to put on and take off PPE. And probably the one thing that stands out to um, us who have been doing that is there is no one, two facilities alike, as in, you know, design and environment. They're all, there's a huge spectrum of the facilities, how um, modern they are. Um, some were perhaps a little more run down than others and, you know, needed a bit of upkeep. Um, so that the design and the condition of these facilities varies enormously. So that, that's, that's a big challenge. Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's you, you would have heard of the hierarchy of controls when it comes to, to risk reduction. And the first one for 
Um, this is to have an environment, make the environment easy to implement infection control. And that's, you know, uh, um, you know uh, fewer doors, um, single rooms, um, less communal areas, those sorts of things we talked about, and, and then the ventilation. And it's the PPE that, that comes very last of, of those hierarchies. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We are indebted to Coroma, whose sponsorship of the Health and Aged Care series makes all this possible. Coroma proudly present care support grab rails with germ guard protection. Introducing an exciting first of the market, a range of commercial antimicrobial grab rails, which not only help control the spread of infection, but also stop the ingress of dirt and moisture underneath the clam flanges where cleaning is often missed. The new grab rail range features a unique seal which contains an antimicrobial additive to defend against and kill 99% of all harmful bacteria such as golden staph and E. coli which are common issues for hospitals as well as aged care facilities. Find out more at coroma.com.au forward slash live well. That's coroma.com.au forward slash live well and now it's back to the show masks yeah hilarious but um do you think that the ppe is something that we need more research into and make it more effective i mean it's all very nice talking about the n95 mask when you can't get the damn thing um is there is, is there is there need to be more research into that you reckon yes absolutely there does um particularly with masks and and face shields. Um, so the, you know, there's originally um, it was assumed that COVID was spread through larger droplets. So it was really just a, a, any sort of mask. In Victoria, we were told we could put scarves in front of our mouths, um, uh, which was adequate. Our knowledge has improved since then. There's clear evidence that there has been some cases of air, air, where airborne spread, aerosol spread is the only reasonable explanation for an infection to have occurred. So that's where the, the conversation moved into the N95s and to the, to the respirators. But we, uh, there's also um, discussion, speculation that um, um, infection could also occur through the through the eye, through the conjunctiva of the eye. So um, that's why the face shields have have come into play and, and goggles. But we really don't know. Um, uh, we don't have the data. We don't have the evidence, the hard evidence, to know clearly how effective each of those um, bits of equipment are by themselves. Do you do you need all of them all the time? Or could you just get away with a face shield and a mask at, at various times and how much better various masks are than, than others? So like I said to earlier, there's, there's COVID has raised so many questions that we don't have answers for because we now need to go and do the proper research uh, on these in big groups and, and generate the Harvard. There's certainly lots of um, uh, hypotheses uh, which seem plausible and reasonable, but we really need to go and test these now um, through proper through proper research. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in terms of aged care, is there such a thing as um, infectious disease control overkill? I mean, can you actually go too far? Uh, um, look, I think you can go a little bit too far at times. People people probably do. Um, I suspect that 
post-COVID, there's still going to be, you know, in the community, some awkwardness about giving people hugs and kisses and handshakes and getting on crowded buses and trains and that sort of stuff. But, um, and I think there's, you know, we've we've become this heightened awareness of infection prevention control now that, that's probably going to linger for some time. It's difficult to, but we do need to remember that, you know, Humans are pretty resilient. Most of the time, we're we're you know we're well able to fight off infections, and they're just some basic hygiene um, principles that we all need to follow. That 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 um, you know that we've been um, trying to get the messages across since we were children. You know, good hand hygiene, washing hands. I think one of the really good things is that we'll see a lot of alcohol-based um, hand gel all over the place now. We've seen it in supermarkets, in banks and um, shopping centres. So I hope that continues because hand hygiene is really important and doesn't just stop um, COVID, but it stops a lot of gastrointestinal infections and other respiratory viruses as well. So I think the community has, has um, improved knowledge on infection and prevention of infection but I don't think we need to continue to walk around in gowns, gloves and masks when we walk into the supermarket when we don't have any um, infections in the community such. Or the picture of a guy I saw up in North Queensland who walked into a local bottle wearing a pair of, nothing but a pair of ball shorts and a welder's helmet. It's only in far North Queensland, I've got to say. As a, as a growing sector, um, you know, aged care... Um, you know, well, it's more and more important, really, isn't it? So do you think that in, in, in some ways, maybe, you know, COVID at least has made us better at handling certain um, infectious diseases? Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, it has, you know, before COVID came along, a pandemic was considered to be a bit of a never going to happen. Well, you know, not in my lifetime sort of attitude. Only in Hollywood movies. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and even though, you know, it was, we, we could sense it coming, we could see it coming, we could see things evolve, um, we could see it being spread around through international travel, you know, um, 14 months down the track, we're still tr struggling to quarantine people in hotels. We So... It's been a big learning process, and I think one of the major um, things has been is that we weren't prepared for it. So I think what we've learned is that we need to be better prepared for these types of infections, um, uh, and and look at you know, everything from from the community, aged care facilities, healthcare facilities, border controls, quarantining. Uh, we really need to to review our whole preparedness for these types of pandemics because. It might not happen in our lifetime, but there will be another one. And, and so um, that's why we need to be ready. And that, that's the same for aged care as well. Are we like Californians uh, when it comes to earthquakes, we're all waiting for the big one to hit? <laughs> well, you know, um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's very capable of having that effect. And, you know, I have fears for um, what's going to eventuate in, in India. And we're watching this right before our very eyes. And it's from a humanitarian point of view, it's just nothing short of a tragedy because, you know, other countries have had dealt with this for over 12 months now and, and um, it was pretty much a sitting duck. So 
um, you know, it, it, that's a demonstration of how it can, it, it, it can, you know, have a huge effect on, on um, the human population. So I think we need to, you know, to be prepared for the, a, a worst case scenario. I mean, there's a, you know, um, in Victoria, we built a desalination plant about 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago when there was in drought. And ever since it's been built, we haven't had a drought, which people tend to think, well, that was a waste. But you know what? At some, some time, there will be a drought and it will be turned on and everybody will be very happy about it. So I think that's the sort of attitude we need to have uh, when it comes to pandemic planning as well. So on that point, we had a Royal Commission to HK, didn't we? Um, and it was it was quite, you know, yes. some of the some of the footage from that was actually quite also quite disturbing. But from a point of um, you know handling disease and, and infectious control or infection control rather, what are some of the main findings from from that uh, recently recently finished Royal Commission? Yeah, well, um, I think, uh, you know, it was found that there was a lack of education and knowledge about infection control in a lot of facilities. And, and that was, that you know, corroborated with the research that we did, um, that the condition of facilities um, weren't harmonious to good infection prevention and control with, you know, just general hygiene, cleanliness. Um, and the, 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 I think the, probably the big thing is it was just, there's a lack of, um, a, a lack of uh, data and knowledge about what's happening in these when it, when it comes to infections. We don't have, um, a lot of these residents will have urinary catheters in and if you've got a catheter in, you're more likely to get an infection, but we don't do any surveillance for urinary tract infections in, in these areas. So there's really shone the, a spotlight on a lot of gaps when it comes to infection control and I think the other major one which I've mentioned also is is the skill base of the workforce as well we really need um, at the very least more registered nurses in these facilities is there a figure of of how many people in aged care actually die from infectious disease, or, or should I say preventable infectious diseases? Is there actually a figure that, that, that's been quoted? No, and again, that that's, um, goes back to the fact that we don't really know what's going on in our facilities. Um, we, could give you, we could give you an estimate of that number in hospitals. Um, the point prevalence survey that you mentioned in my intro where we did a survey of 19 large hospitals across Australia. From that, we can tell you that about one in 10 adult patients in a hospital will have a healthcare-associated infection. Wow. But I can't tell you what that is for aged care facilities because we don't have the data and that the research hasn't been done in these areas. So that's, you know, it's a big, big, um, uh, you know, opportunities, a lot of opportunities for, for work in this space. As someone who spends their, who spent a large portion of their life, you know, studying infection control and, and, and bugs and whatnot, does it really make you want to tear your hair out sometimes? <laughs> if I had any hair left to tear out, I would be very careful not to tear it out. Um, uh, but look, it is it is frustrating, um, and you know, the the past fourteen months has, like I said, has been a big learning curve. Um, 
it has, you know, uh, one of the positives, I guess, is that it has put the spotlight on aged care. It has put um, infection prevention front and centre, and it's hopefully the the very tip of the iceberg of of the sort of work we need to do in aged care facilities to bring it up to an acceptable um, standard for infection prevention. So, um, have there been some local? Um, success stories when it comes to aged care infection control um, that, you, that you, you think should be exemplars for the rest of the industry? Brent, uh, I can't name anything, any specifically individual facilities because, you know, we, that we would need to, that would be a good thing to do to be able to, to work that up. But I do know the facilities that we went into is, um, to teach the education and PPE, um, they have kept in touch with a lot of those facilities and they're very grateful for the support. Um, they come back and ask questions, um, more education, resources, and um, all the facilities that we've been involved with uh, are just hungry for resources and support and are very grateful uh, when it arrives. So, um, you know, I think uh, there, there's, there's only improvements to be made in these areas. If you were given the power to design and operate the perfect, dare I call it, the perfect aged care facility, what would it look like? And how would you maintain the lowest possible infectious disease transmission rate? By what method would you use? <clears throat> um, that's a good question. I need to, uh, to consider that. I guess, um, you know, I think when it comes to this sort of thinking, uh, it's really important that um, we engage consumers in this. And, you know, one of the things that I, I mean, I, I most of my work has been in acute health, so I don't know the aged care facilities particularly well, other than the, the work that I've been involved with, with COVID really, and a couple of uh, bits of research, but it's really important to, to speak with consumers and, and residents as to how they see their experience. And I hear that, um, you know, there's a big demand for these facilities to look to be more like homes rather than actual healthcare services. But in fact, a lot of healthcare also goes on in these facilities as well. So we need to find some sort of balance that's going to meet consumers' needs um, from a resident's point of view, but also for when they need some healthcare too. So whether or not there's some sort of um, you know, within the one facility, a mixture of residential type looking areas and, you know, other areas that um, are more um, designed to provide, um, you know, episodes of healthcare. But I guess it comes back to a couple of the points I was making earlier. They need, we need to, um, I think the first thing is, is about the ventilation, about the design workflow issues are often, um, Need, do need to be considered when it comes to infection control. A lot of infection control initiatives uh, deal with human behaviours and in particular healthcare worker behaviours. So we need to make health uh, infection control easier for the healthcare workers to practice. An example of that is it's impossible for a healthcare worker to do good hand hygiene unless there's a bottle of alcohol hand gel right next to the patient. Um, because they're not going to leave the room, do hand hygiene and come back all the time. <clears throat> so some simple design features that are based around the standard common workflows um, for the staff to make it easier for them to practice infection control is, is a really key factor. Um, and again, like I mentioned before, the, the um, 
the design and the materials that are used need to be able to be cleaned appropriately as well. So, you know, with my limited architectural knowledge, you know, they would be certainly things that, that I would be looking for. You know, Philip, this is the first podcast that I now want to rush out and wash my hands with some hand sanitizer. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. That was, that was absolutely fascinating and, and, and a lesson and, and, you know, something a lot to think about. You're welcome, Branko. It's been fun. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We are indebted to Coroma, whose sponsorship of the Health and Aged Care series makes all this possible. Coroma proudly present care support grab rails with germ guard protection. Introducing an exciting first of the market, a range of commercial antimicrobial grab rails, which not only help control the spread of infection, but also stop the ingress of dirt and moisture underneath the clam flanges where cleaning is often missed. The new grab rail range features a unique seal which contains an antimicrobial additive to defend against and kill 99% of all harmful bacteria, such as golden staph and E. coli, which are common issues for hospitals as well as aged care facilities. Find out more at coroma.com.au forward slash livewell. That's coroma.com.au forward slash livewell. And now it's back to the show. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews, and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine.